Welcome to Genie Geeks Gems. My guest today is Claire. Hi, Claire. Hi. Claire, I want to start with your great-great-grandmother on your mother's side, Clara Nunn. Okay. Do you know anything about her? I do not know. I think I recognise the name, but that's probably just from things that we have spoken about before. Okay. Well, the story really starts with her parents. Your third great-grandma, Eliza Allen, was born in Toppersfield in Essex. The entire episode takes place in the English county of Essex, which I know you're very familiar with. I am indeed. And a few towns and villages are featured. You, you know of Toppersfield? I know of Toppersfield, yeah. Excellent. What kind of place would you say Toppersfield is? Small. It's just a little small village. I don't, I don't think I've been there very often. I don't think it's much more than a road. They've got a little primary school there, I think. Yeah, very rural. Yeah. So it's in the northern part of Essex. I looked on a map just. <laughs> okay, I'm sure I'll go with that, yeah. Yeah, so it's heading close toward the Suffolk border. It's a very rural area. In 1852, Eliza married bailiff Thomas Playle at Springfield in Essex. From Chelmsford. Yeah, so it's now part of Chelmsford, which is the county town. But at the time, it was its own village. Oh, okay. It's just kind of being absorbed into Chelmsford now. And he was a bailiff. Now, bailiff would have referred to a farm bailiff rather than a court bailiff, which is someone who was employed by the landowners to oversee their properties and collect rents from tenant farmers and things like that. Not a bad job? No, not a bad job. Okay, in the 1871 census, we find the couple living in Livermore's cottages in the hamlet of Middlemead. I had to do a little bit of looking into to find where this hamlet was, and it seems to have been regarded as part of Little Baddo. Okay. Okay. Now, Little Baddo, that's also quite near Chelmsford. Yeah. For some reason, I thought it was up closer to Braintree, and then I was a bit surprised because I obviously knew the name and, yeah, didn't know where it was. <laughs> but surprised to know. But now, in this census, he's recorded as an agricultural labourer, or an ag lab for short. Demoted by sounds of things. Yeah, a bit of a drop down, perhaps. Not sure if it was by choice or what happened there. Mm. We don't know. But a few months later, a fellow agricultural labourer, James Nunn, moved in as a lodger. Mm. Now, that wasn't uncommon. Obviously, having a lodger helped make ends meet. What year was that? 1871. Oh, in 71, okay. They didn't have any children. I could not see. They don't have any children with them in the census, and I haven't found any record of there being any children born to them. Uh, so it's just them living in Livermore's cottages, and they took in James Nunn, who was also an agricultural labourer. In 1872, however, <laughs> there was high drama. Oh. Yeah, I love it. In the Chelmsford Chronicle, on 4th of October 1872, there appeared this article. And I'm going to get you to read the title and the first sentence. Elopement in a humble life from Little Baddo. Holy moly. An event <laughs> which has created much excitement in the usually quiet village of Little Baddo occurred on Saturday and has been a fertile subject of gossip among the parishioners. The three parties most intimately concerned being well known in the neighbourhood. Stop there. What could have happened? Hmm, I think old Eliza got friendly with James. Oh, so you question her morals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so the 
a fertile subject of gossip among the parishioners. It appears that a labourer named James Nunn has for about 12 months been lodging with a fellow labourer named Thomas Playle, who was married, had a decent-looking wife. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> a decent-looking wife. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> it would be completely different if she was a plain or an ugly-looking wife. <laughs> oh, exactly, yeah. She was decent-looking. Yeah, so, decent-looking wife. Scandalous. And a comfortable cottage home. The wife, however, seems to have been too attractive for none to resist the temptation to make her his own. Together with a nice little sum with which she had been entrusted by her husband mm. to pay the year's rent. Yeah. The husband suspected a too close intimacy between them some little time ago and hinted as much to his wife, who indignantly repudiated the soft impeachment and matters continued as before until Saturday last. So basically he's like, right, there's something going on between you two. Yeah. Don't be ridiculous, of course not. Or until Saturday. What does impeachment mean? Well, kind of. I, I, I always think presidents, <laughs> but but basically, okay. in, th in this case, it basically means he's accusing her of something of doing oh, something okay. wrong, and she's saying no. That's my interpretation. On that morning, so on on the Saturday, the husband was at home to breakfast about nine o'clock, because I think in the, uh, agricultural labourers would get up and go out They'd to work and yeah. come back, and yeah, you know, what a horrible life. <laughs> <laughs> you could do anything before eating breakfast. On that morning, the husband was at home to breakfast about nine o'clock and left for his forenoon's work with no unusually unpleasant surmises respecting his wife. But when he returned at noon, he discovered that not only was his wife, but none, and also a quantity of clothing, furniture, and nine pounds in money were missing. Furniture? They just <laughs> love the sofa on their back and carry that down the road. <laughs> <laughs> Seems that way. Wow. His worst suspicions of a few weeks previously were naturally now realised to the full in his mind, and he began to make anxious inquiries as to the fugitives. He soon ascertained. Is it ascertained or ascertained? I'm um, going no, ascertained sounds better. Thank you, that's what I'm going to say. He soon ascertained that the furniture had been seen in a cart on its way towards Chelmsford, and that the faithless wife and her companion in guilt had passed in the same direction, calling at the Cock Inn, Boreham, for refreshment. Pursuing the inquiries further, he learned that they had last been seen and heard of at the Chelmsford Railway Station, where they booked for Stratford, the goods being likewise consigned to the railway station at that place. Flail forthwith applied for a warrant for the apprehension of none on the charge of stealing his goods, but he has not yet been discovered. Oh. Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas. I wonder what happened to him. Yes. Well, we do find a bit more out about this case, Claire. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Going to read on. So he's found, gone gone home, found his wife missing and his furniture, some furniture. money, some clothing. It's like, what the heck's going on here? He's heard that they've run off together and possibly in Stratford or heading towards Stratford. And they didn't know where he was, though. Okay, not yet been discovered. Yeah. The article was October, but they, he left in September, or they left in September. In 1873, they obviously caught up with him because in January, he appeared at the Chelmsford Petty Sessions, charged with theft. Petty Sessions, that's like a court, is it? Like yes, it was. Um, they used to have uh, local magistrates. And so 
the petty issues like small crimes and, and misdemeanors could be dealt with like every couple of weeks or so if they were just simple cases. If it was a more serious, you'd move up to the quarter sessions. They held them every quarter. So you'd have a judge involved, um, sometimes trials, sometimes juries. So it's a, a bit more serious offences. And then you have the most serious offences would have been held for the assizes. So those are the crimes dealing with capital punishment and things like oh. that. Sometimes, like, I don't know if they maybe have to listen to it in the quarter sessions to then see if it goes on to the assizes. But I guess if it was murder, you'd definitely go straight to the assizes. But um, that I'm not completely sure about that. So on the 11th of January, 1873, there's an article in the Essex Newsman, a rascally lodger and a faithless wife. So they're not, <laughs> the press is a bit, they're not looking too favourably on your third yeah. great-grandma yeah. and James Nunn. Got a pretty bad name. Yeah, yeah. Well, they. what, what was the wording that they was, created some gossip amongst the parishioners? Mm. Right. So James Nunn was placed in the dock, charged with stealing a quantity of goods, the property of Thomas Playle, a labourer at Little Baddow on the 28th of September last. For about 12 months prior to September 28th, the prisoner had lodged at prosecutor's house at Little Baddow. On that day, prosecutor left home at nine o'clock in the morning on good terms with his wife, according to him. Uh, but on returning to dinner about one, he found the door locked. Upon getting in the house, he found that not only had the lodger gone, but his wife. Upon an examination of the house, he discovered that a great deal of his property had been taken, which, including about nine pounds in money, was worth 20 pounds. Evidence having been given, the case was adjourned for a week for the attendance of Henry Peacock and Sorel, two material witnesses. So they've heard it, but these two witnesses did not appear at the first one. So they're, doing, they're adjourning it, saying we've got to hear these two people and what they say before we can make any kind of decision. Right. And it's only James Nunn that's in court, not, not her as well? No, not her. Just James Nunn. Oh, why, why should you get out of it then? Well, I guess you could argue, uh, you, you could think maybe Thomas didn't want to um, accuse his wife because maybe he was hoping for some kind of recon reconciliation. Mm. Or perhaps it was just that I'm not sure what the marriage was. Women didn't have a lot of ownership of things in those days, but being married, maybe you could possibly argue that half of it was hers, even if that may have not been the case in law back then. Yeah. It was probably going to be more likely to get some kind of charge, some kind of, um, what do you call it? Conviction. Yeah. Conviction. So, yeah. yeah. So that he was probably more likely going to get a conviction against this strange interloper rather than the woman he was married to, who could yeah. have maybe been seen as having ownership of some of it. Who knows? Ooh. But a week later, we get some more information in the Chelmsford Petty Sessions. So 17th of January, 1873, the Essex Weekly News had this article. The Little Baddo Elopement Case. James Nunn was charged on remand with stealing two feather beds, Ooh. nine pounds in monies, and a quantity of furniture, wearing apparel, etc. Value altogether, 20 pounds. The property of, it says James Player, but they mean Thomas Player, at Little Baddo. The evidence, taken last week, having been read over, Thomas Peacock, labourer, Little Baddo, was called and deposed that on the 28th of September, at about eight o'clock in the morning, 
prisoner came to his house and asked if he would drive him to Chelmsford. He said he would, and bought out a horse and cart belonging to a man named Gibson, with whom he lived. Lots of detail. He went down with the cart to prisoner's lodgings at Playles. Prisoner and Mrs. Playle were there. None told him to stop out in the road, and he would bring the things out. None brought out two boxes, something in a sack. <laughs> I wonder what that was. And a small parcel, all of which he put into the cart. He drove the cart containing the goods, Nunn and Mrs. Playle, to Chelmsford Railway Station. He helped Nunn to unload at the station, and they then all three went back to the Fleece Inn in Duke Street, and witness soon afterwards went away, leaving them there. When Nunn first asked him to drive to Chelmsford, Witness did not know that he was going to take the goods, nor that Mrs. Playle was going with them. Hyam Sorrel, or Sorrel, of Little Baddo, a jobbing gardener, deposed that on the 27th of September, so this is the day before they ran off, they eloped, at prisoner's request, he drove hey, him to... Are they calling um, James prisoner? Is that what's happening now? I'm confused. Yes, sorry, James Nunn is the prisoner. Right. So he's been held. So once they found him, they arrested him and he's been held until... And now his name is prisoner, not James. <laughs> yeah, right. yes. So Hyam Sorrel of Little Baddo, a jobbing gardener, deposed that on the 27th of September, so the day before they eloped, at prisoner's request, he drove him to Malden in Gibson's cart. Witness was driving down to prisoner's lodgings to fetch him when he met him and told him not to go to his lodgings, but to Mrs. Forster's, and they drove there together. Right. Sounds like maybe, oh, no, back off. Thomas is there. Thomas Playle is home. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, quick, back up. Yeah. None went into the house and brought out two boxes, which he put into the cart. One of the boxes was a large blue one. Ooh. Could not say what colour the other was. <laughs> does make a difference. It certainly does. <laughs> Witness drove to Malden with none and the boxes and went to the railway station where prisoner left the boxes, which were directed to James Nunn, to be left at Stratford Station till called for. So the day before they'd already started moving things out. Mm. Wow. Or at least his own things. Oh, yeah. Prisoner went into the booking office and he heard him tell a porter to send the things off. Witness afterwards drove prisoner back to Little Baddo. Prisoner made no statement to him about the boxes. James Pearman, painter, deposed to seeing Peacock at Playle's house. He saw Nunn hand something to Peacock and believe it was a lot of knives and forks. <laughs> <laughs> prisoner here said they were not knives, but a bundle of eel hooks, which he, <laughs> which he gave to Peacock as he was going away and didn't want them. Sergeant Fulcher, stationed at Finchingfield, said he apprehended prisoner by warrant at Finchingfield on the 28th of December. He read the warrant to him and he said, All there is in this house belongs to me. I had things of my own that I bought from Falness Island to Little Baddo. I hired a house of Playle. These things, pointed to some boxes, I brought from Little Baddo to Chelmsford Railway Station. I took nothing from Playle's house. You can search and see. He did search, but found nothing there that was stated in the warrant. Mm. Hmm. Mrs. Playle was in the house with him at the time. They had been living there two or three months. He asked the woman whether her husband lived at Little Baddo, and she said yes. 
He also asked her how long she had been married, and she said, 20 years, but she would never live with her husband again. This being the case for the prosecution, prisoner was cautioned in the usual way. He said he lived along with Playle 11 months, and after being there eight months, Playle told him he must pay two shillings instead of one shilling a week, and he agreed to do so. At the end of nine months, Playle gave him notice to leave, and he did leave, but took nothing with him but what was his own property. He was committed for trial at the adjourned sessions. So they've heard all this evidence and think, all right, he needs to go to trial. We need a jury to hear this case. What are your impressions so far? What are your thoughts? Well, it's all got very complicated, isn't it, really? Mm. <clears throat> so James is just saying, I've only taken my stuff. So it was her that took all the stuff. So she can't get done for it because it's definitely hers. Mm. Is anything ever that woman's if she's married? Is it always her the husband's oh, yeah. property? It's a bit of a bit of a tricky situation. Okay, so finally came James's trial at the Essex Quarter Sessions, which were held in Chelmsford. Oh, it's got a age. I wondered how old they were. It's like she was married if she was married for 20 years. Like how old was she born? I should have said actually, I didn't actually say how old she was when she was born, did I? Mm. James was born in 1832, around about. It's not definite. He may have been born a few years earlier. Uh, and Eliza Allen. Um, so Mrs. Playle, in this case, was born in 1828. Oh. She married Thomas Playle in 1852, which, do some maths, Claire. 1852. So to 24 years old? Hang on, just calculating. <laughs> Did you actually get a calculator out? 24. Yep, so she's, 24. So she's 44, 44 at this point. Yeah. So she's a she's a bit older than James. And she hasn't had any children yet? No. No, I wondered about that. It's really old in those days, isn't it, not to have children? Yeah, well, like I said, I don't know if she had children, like, and they died because that was a a common thing, but I've not found any registrations. And if they kind of made it to, it's hard to say this, if they were past a certain gestation, they would have been registered, even if they were born dead unfortunately for want of better words i feel like maybe they didn't so maybe either they were unable to have children or perhaps the relationship was that bad that circumstances weren't conducive to producing mm. children perhaps but yeah so i i've i've wondered about that but may, i might be wrong but i haven't found any children so, so far how does that then continue on the family tree if they didn't have children you will find out my dear claire oh, Murder mystery. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, in the Essex Newsman on the twenty second of February, eighteen seventy three, there was this article: the elopement from Little Baddo. James Nunn, forty, shoemaker, was indicted for stealing a feather bed, a pair of blankets, and a counterpane, value of three pounds. The goods of Thomas Playle at Little Baddo on the twenty eighth of September last. Mr. Green was counsel for the prosecution. The prisoner was undefended. So didn't even have any kind of uh, lawyer helping him. Mm. Hmm. Prosecutor and prisoner were in the same condition of life, both being labourers. For some time, up to the 28th of September, the prisoner lodged at the house of the prosecutor, who was a married man at Little Baddo. So we are going to be hearing the same things repeated, but I think sometimes there's slightly, slight variations in the way they tell the story. 
Uh, on going to his dinner on that day, prosecutor found the door locked and it turned out that the prisoner had run away with his wife and the couple had taken with them the sum of £9 and many articles of furniture. Sometime afterwards, they were found living together at Finchingfield and the woman told a police officer who visited the cottage that she could not agree with her husband, to whom she had been married about 20 years, any longer. So, can't stand the bloke. The prisoner as tedious and unromantic a fellow as could exist and not (laughs) (laughs) sounds like delight scathing (laughs) as tedious and unromantic a fellow as could exist and not at all then what does that say for thomas playle if eliza's had her head turned by this tedious and unromantic fellow (laughs) what must thomas have been like you don't know what happens behind closed doors do you he might have been Exactly. Not yeah. Very loving and romantic. Well, this is this is why I have to presume. <laughs> so as tedious and unromantic a fellow as could exist, and not at all the sort of hero usually associated with an elopement, <laughs> he made a long statement in defence, not denying that he took the prosecutor's wife away, but asserting that he took no articles of furniture away that were not his own. The jury found the prisoner guilty. And the chairman sentenced him to 12 months hard labour in Springfield Jail. Now, I don't know how much you know about Victorian prisons, Claire, but you might have heard about some of the punishments that they gave to prisoners. No. Heard about the treadwheel? It doesn't sound fun, but the what? The treadwheel? Well, like a big hamster wheel. Pretty much. They would just have them on these big wooden... uh, like a treadmill, but not like, you know, the exercise treadmills of today. It, it looked yeah. like a bit like, you know, a, a water mill, those wooden yeah. paddles that go, like that essentially, and they just had to walk on them continuously till they'd done a certain amount of mm. steps. Or right. there was another horrible punishment called the crank. Right. He would have to turn a crank in his cell a set number of times to earn his food. <laughs> so um, unlike the treadmill which could have been used to power machinery in the prison the crank just turned paddles in a box of sand so it was just pointless <laughs> just just to make their life miserable basically that was a, a couple of of the things picking oakum as well was another one they'd get them to do it was uh separating strands of rope so lovely. Mm, and it would have been very hard hard on the fingers oh yes okay so, sentenced to 12 months hard labour for falling in love <laughs> and, and for all that stuff he stole. <laughs> right, so Springfield Jail is what is now Chelmsford Prison. So oh, okay. you've gone past Chelmsford Prison. That's where he was. Mm. Right, oh. Mr Superintendent Dobson says, the wife of the prosecutor says she wants to say something to the court. The chairman, the wife of the prosecutor, ought to be ashamed to show herself here. (laughs) Too right. I love this. The woman came forward. This is your third great-grandmother, Claire. The woman came forward as the very personification of boldness, attired in a shawl of many brilliant colours, a bonnet like a garden, (laughs) and wearing a pair of light kid gloves. What a picture. So not not all in black in mourning or anything. <laughs> she, she didn't seem to be the shy retiring type by that description. Yeah. <laughs> Love her. I wish to state, she said, 
that the prisoner took nothing but what was his own. I don't, I don't know if she spoke so poshly. I'm sure she probably didn't. <laughs> I wish to state, she said, that the prisoner took nothing but what was his own. How would you say that in an Essex accent, a common Essex accent, Claire? Uh, well, we're not very common around here. We're actually well-spoken. So she probably said, I wish to state <laughs> that the prisoner took nothing but what was his own. I don't think an agricultural labourer is a wife in the 1870s. Speak so clearly and enunciate. <laughs> what are you saying about me and my family here? I'm just drawing conclusions. <laughs> but anyway, I wish to state that the prisoner took nothing but what was his own. And the chairman, he took you at any rate. Laughter, it has in brackets. The woman again essayed to address the court. So she's still, you know, wanting to talk to the court. She hadn't had her say. No, exactly. The chairman, woman, I think you had better. <laughs> Sorry, woman, I think you had better hold your tongue. You ought to be ashamed of showing yourself in court. The woman, it is because my husband used me so bad. Oh dear. The chairman, let her go out of court. The woman then retired, casting a glance at the prisoner as he was removed below. Oh, that's sad, isn't it? It is sad. How do you feel about them now? Well, well, Thomas was obviously not a very nice man, so James has rescued her. Now he's been taken away. We don't know. Maybe we're making the wrong assumptions, but it's. I think it's very likely that they didn't have a great marriage. There's no kids after 20 years of marriage. Um, not that that means that a marriage is good, <laughs> but, but there, there may be reasons for that. And yeah, to 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 decide to to shack up with a what was he a tedious and unromantic fellow, <laughs> and she's not too bad apparently. So no, yes, she's what what was she? A decent looking wife. That's right. Oh yeah, decent. Yeah, decent she was looking. a decent looking wife, so a decent looking woman. I tend to go on the woman's side in cases like this. I mean, it was yeah. very hard for women to get any kind of peace. <laughs> <laughs> in those days. Right, so they're throwing shade at your third great grandma, Claire. Mm, they didn't think a lot of her. They didn't, no. So would that have been my nan's nan? So this would have been your nan's great grandmother. Okay. Cast a glance at the prisoner. I think that's sweet. So she looked at him. I think there was genuine affection there. I... Yeah, it just seemed like it. It's like she's like she's been rescued by him and now he's been put away and she's like, oh. Yeah. Chance of happiness. So you think she waited for him? Um, well, I thought maybe she would have, but now you've said that, maybe not. <laughs> Whatever do you mean? <laughs> All right, well, let's let's fast forward to the 1881 census and see. 1881. 1881. So this is eight years after he was placed in jail. Eliza's 53 now, just to keep you updated. <laughs> well, she says she is 47 years old on the census. Lies. <laughs> and that James is 49. Yeah, so it's notoriously, um, what would you call it? Wrong. Subjective. <laughs> <laughs> Ages tend to fluctuate on these things. Okay, so can you see them down here, James Numb? Well, I can, I can see squiggles. It's very difficult to read, though, isn't it? Well, here is James Numb, shoemaker. Shoemaker, yeah. So I'm not sure if he was a shoemaker before or Eliza, wife. Oh, they married. Well, 
This is another thing that's subjective. Oh. I have found absolutely no record of a marriage between them. So she's calling themselves marriage. Maybe she couldn't face to get divorced. Well. Because it wasn't a done thing back in the day, was it? No, it it was common for people to declare themselves and made like common law wife and things like that and also to save scandal. But if you have a look underneath as well. Clara. hmm. There she is. Yep. So that's your second great-grandma. Clara, at seven years old, born, can you see over here? In Finchingfield. Finchingfield. So here, they're at Lanham's Green, which was near Cressing. Okay. They weren't weren't married, as we've just said, but they presented themselves as such. Uh, apologies to them if they were, but I've looked very hard under different names and variations and have not found any record of marriage. Thomas appears to have died a couple of years before this in 1879. They were actually free to marry now because he had died. But as I said, I've not found a a record. Whether they did, I'm not sure. What does that say under, says Clara, and then says, what's in that next column? The next column is door for daughter. Oh, okay. That's the relationship to the head of the household. So James is the head of the household. Yeah. Eliza's wife, Clara's daughter. So she's being claimed as his daughter, which sometimes they would do that even if they knew they weren't biologically theirs. However, I feel that Clara was most likely James's daughter. Mm. So, and she's using the nun surname as well. But uh, I've pieced together a little bit of a timeline. 28th of September, 1872, Eliza eloped with James Nunn. Yeah. 28th of December, 1872, Nunn was arrested at Finchingfield. Yeah. 18th of February, 1873, was the Crown Court trial. So he, that's when he was sentenced to the 12 months hard labour in Springfield Jail. He was in prison for a year, yeah. Yeah. 8th of May, so a few months after he was imprisoned, your great-great-grandmother Clara was born. Ah. Ah. So she was conceived around 8th of August, 1872. I did the maths. So a couple of months before they eloped. Yeah. This suggests to me that maybe they knew Eliza was pregnant and thought that the time is now. Yeah, let's leave. Let's get out of here. Yeah, if we're, if we're going to make a move, we should go now. But Clara's birth was registered as Clara Playle. Oh. Because they weren't married, a child born to a married woman was usually recorded. Yeah, the woman's current name, which was Playle. Before 1874, it wasn't necessary at all to register the name of any father of a bastard child. Correct terminology. Um, There was an 1874 act enabled a man could be named, but only could only be named as the father if he consented and was present when the child was registered. So a woman couldn't just name the father or accuse anyone of being the father. The bloke had to be there and accepting that this child Mm -hmm. was his. So most censuses say that Clara was born in Finchingfield, and that seems very likely to me, since that's where they were living when James was arrested. I can only guess that uh, Eliza stayed on in Finchingfield uh, with her infant daughter. So James would have still been in prison for the first few months of little Clara's life. Hmm. So when did she change to nun then? Well, by the 1881 census, she was using the name nun. So they were clearly living together as husband and wife, whether they actually yeah. married or not. And Clara continued to use the name nun. She may have never even known that she was registered under the name Playl. Oh. She may have always known herself to be Clara Nunn. So in 1881, there they were near Cressing, 
But by 1890, they were living at Little Sailing, which is also known as Bardfield Sailing. Mm-hmm. So they've headed back up towards Finchingfield Way, haven't they? Yeah. 10th of January, 1890, we see them again. Oh, no, what have they been doing now? <laughs> you have such negative thoughts about your family, Claire. <sighs> you should address. On the 10th of January, 1890, in the Chelmsford Chronicle, there was this article, Little Sailing, a tenant's claim. James Nunn sued his landlord, James Howland, for £4, 17 shillings and sixpence for damage to furniture, earthenware, etc., caused by the fall of a part of the house. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Mr. Smoothie, what a name, <laughs> Mr. Smoothie, appeared for the defendant. The plaintiff said he occupied a house belonging to the defendant. He paid him five guineas a year. He had lived in the house four years, and when he took it, the plaintiff guaranteed it to be sound. Last year, the back bedroom floor tumbled in onto the lower floor in the room where he kept earthenware, all of which was smashed. So imagine that. House <laughs> Top floor falling in on all your stuff. And they wouldn't have had too much, you know, I guess shoemaker, agricultural labor, whatever he's he's doing at the time. They wouldn't have had a lot. Mm. But whatever they did have was smashed. He produced a bill of the broken ware, also a section of a joist of the house. Mr. Smoothie was about to cross-examine the plaintiff when the deputy judge said he could reserve his cross-examination till after the next witness. Clara Nunn. Mm. Clara Nunn, daughter of the plaintiff, corroborated her father's statement and said she had a very narrow escape of being crushed and buried in the ruins of the house. Yeah, sounds like a close call. Mm. You may not have existed in the form that you have. Yeah, could have been everything as we know it. Without hearing the other side, the deputy judge non-suited the plaintiff. He basically dismissed it. He said... I don't think that's the reason in this case. He he does explain. He said it was not for him to make or cavil at the law, but to administer it. The law of the land was and had been from the time of the Edwards that there was no obligation on the part of a landlord to make good any such loss as was alleged to have befallen the plaintiff. He therefore gave judgment for the defendant with costs. So basically, landlords aren't responsible for anything that happens to your stuff in your house, even if the house caves in. Wow. What a time to be alive. Is that when buildings insurance was then introduced? Oh, 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 that's a good question. (laughs) Landlords were laughing then, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. I don't know how wealthy James Howland was. It may have been his his sole income, this extra house, or he may have been a, a land baron. But it obviously benefits the people who already have more than the people who have less, doesn't oh. it? Always seems to be the way. But I, Always, yeah. but I love that it, it had your your great great grandmother. Yeah. I don't think you realise, Claire, how unusual that is. I would be thrilled to find words <laughs> spoken by yeah. my ancestors. But anyway, I was I was quite pleased with that. But shocking though, I found that terrible. That it didn't matter about all this damage that was caused. You could just put him in a a, a crap ramshackle house and. Yeah. You couldn't do anything about it. Everything is mm. Never mind. Oh. Anyway, 28th of May, 1890. So this was a few months after the house caved in. Yeah. Clara was baptised 
at oh, the age know. of 17. Yeah, unusual. An elder baptized, teenage. Baptized as well, not christened. Interesting. Oh, uh, christened, baptized. It's kind of inter- interchangeable oh. for me. <laughs> In the genealogy game, it's essentially the same thing. So she was baptised at the age of 17 at St. Michael, the Archangel, Braintree. So that that big old church in Braintree. James was named as the father and his occupation was given as shoemaker. So I wonder if they kind of thought, shit, she could have died. We best baptise her. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we want her to be able to get into heaven. We might be harlots and and thieves. We're we're done for, but let's try our better. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And in the 1891 census, they were found at Bardfield Sailing on New Green. Oh, they're still there? Yeah, still there. Not the same house. He was described as a roadman. Oh, <laughs> so the same sort of roadman we have now? Well, it may have been a euphemism for a hobo or a tramp. <laughs> Which maybe I think after this house caved in, I think they were kind of down on their luck. They lost, yeah, they lost their property. At Lanham's Green, where they were recorded was it in 1881, it seems to be a kind of place where people with no set abodes would live. Mm. I think there was gypsy camps and things around there. Judging from the newspaper articles I see, it seems to be a place maybe where people were able to camp out if they had nowhere else to live. But there may have also been a couple of, of homes on there, so I, I'm not completely sure. But the fact they describe him as a, a roadman means that it's possible that they had nowhere else to go after the house caved in. And that's in Bardfield Salem, is it? Lanham's Green was yeah. uh, the one near Cressing. Oh. And they've now moved to Bardfield Salem. Perhaps they've just moved there to, to try and improve their fortunes. But four months after the 1891 census was taken, Clara married agricultural labourer William Jarvis. Oh. Yeah, so they married at Bardfield Sailing. And Clara and William had at least six children together including your great-grandfather, Albert Edward Jarvis. They stayed in Bardfield Sailing, and Clara appeared to have a close relationship with her parents, James and Eliza, who lived nearby. In the 1901 census, their eldest child, Alfred, was with her parents, James and Eliza. And in the 1911 census, Eliza was widowed and living with them. So James seems to have died in 1902. And then Eliza died a couple of years after the 1911 census in 1913. And both of them were buried at Bardfield Sailing. Mm. We can go and find, hopefully, their graves may still exist. But before we end, I wanted to tell you about something interesting that I found, my dear Claire. Okay. Okay, so in 1921, they were still at New Green in sailing, or little sailing, Bardfield Sailing. Yeah. And William was working at Little Lodge Farm. Great Bardfield, which actually I you can see it on a map. It's actually halfway between Little Sailing and Great Sailing. And it says that he's working at Little Lodge Farm. And because I get curious about these things, I have to find out everything. I looked up who was living at Little Lodge in 1921, so at the same time. And it was a man named Richard Misen. Now, I saw that name and I, hmm, this seems a bit familiar to me. And then if you look down further as well, we've, they've got a child. So it's Richard Misen married to Alice Louisa Misen. And their oldest son is Frederick Walter Misen. And I think, hmm, again, because the person's name that I remember is Walter Misen. Okay. So thinking, Who, who's this Walter Misen again? So I had to, had to look back into it. It turns out that Richard Misen 
was the son of the second great grandfather of your husband. What? Yes. So Richard is the great great uncle or great grand uncle of Jai. Mental. So they were working. They were working on his farm. Well, this I also learned something interesting from this. If you look at the employment occupation is farm labourer, so he's not landowner or farmer. Usually, yeah. if they owned or were the tenant oh, no, farmers, yeah. they'd be called farmers. Agricultural farm, little lodge, great bar mm. field, and it's got Strutton Parker, Whiteling Turling, that's crossed out, and it said Governors of Gray's Hospital. Mm. Now, I wasn't aware of this, but apparently hospitals, in particular Gray's Hospital, used to own some property that they would, I thought, oh, were they just producing food for the hospital? But no, they actually seem to own hospital to like fund themselves, uh, own hospital, sorry. They used to own property to like fund themselves. So the hospital would gather the rents make it have an income coming from these farms and these properties. And Strutt and Parker, I don't know if they're familiar to you, but you might see their signs about they're like a real estate agency. Okay. Yeah. At the time, they were like the Essex agents for the governors of Gray's Hospital. So they kind of ran all their properties for them. So Richard Meisen wasn't a big guy, but he obviously seemed to be a little bit a step up from William Jarvis. So that, but they just work together then you rather than yeah they work together but I would imagine the fact that Richard Misen was living at Little Lodge Farm mm. he may have been like a, a slight step up or he may have just been lucky they seem to be what they have on the the same condition as like Thomas Playle and James Nunn were the same condition so yeah they were equals mm. But I thought that was that was great because I know Claire asked me a long time ago when I started researching that she wanted to know whether there was any crossover, <laughs> any crossover between her and her husband's <laughs> family. But it's weird, isn't it? Because also we found out that um, my dad's mum and family, and my dad, um, maybe he wasn't born then, but definitely my uncles, they all still live used to live in Jai's parents' house. Yeah, that's amazing. When we found that out, that was amazing. Yeah. yeah it's those kinds of things that get me all excited. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Well, so that's the story of Liza Allen and James Nunn and their yeah. daughter, Clara Nunn. Crazy. And this is your family, Claire. I love it. It's very interesting. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Well, I'm, I'm assuming you enjoyed it. <laughs> I did enjoy it, yeah. <laughs> If you'd like further information on this episode, including any corrections or clarifications, just go to the podcast page of my site at ginageek.com. I'd love to hear if anyone has any similar tales in their family history or any connections to any of the people or places that are mentioned in these podcasts. And please share this podcast with your friends and family. It would be greatly appreciated. Bye.